the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Good day. Talking investing. That's what I like to do. Ah, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. If you have a question, call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. A lot going on out there. Humana partners by Kindred Healthcare. Carnival beat street on boost from ticket prices. Voters don't believe Trump's tax cut promise. Stocks are trading lower. We're supposed to get a Santa Claus rally anytime now where Wall Street kind of checks out and then amateurs check in who like to buy stocks. Um, I want to do a trade. Amazon's been named Yahoo Finance Company of the Year. So Yahoo Finance, which a lot of people use, publishes a lot of articles. Amazon has innovated, moved markets, pushed boundaries. They join players such as Facebook, Disney, and NVIDIA as far as being dominant stories of the year. Amazon has been used as, a, as a, an action verb of getting Amazon. Um, that's not good. Jeff Bezos sells a lot more than just books these days. Lawmakers like Cory Booker are arguing that tech companies like Amazon and Google have simply become too big and should face greater scrutiny. So we got that. Amazon shares only up 60% this year. But it doesn't take a lot to assert that, you know, Amazon is scaring a lot of companies. And that's what we got. So stock, not stock of the year, company of the year. Holiday spending is on track to be the uh, biggest in at least 12 years. That's Wow. So CNBC's been doing a survey for 12 years. So this is the largest in all the survey's history. Um, We're going to get down to brass tacks now with the tax plan. Some analysts think that uh, that Facebook, for some reason, I I had the word Facebook in my my head, in my notes. And then the next thing I know, I said Walmart. That's weird. Um, I've had a stroke. So one analyst says uh, he's got five reasons why Facebook shares may fall next year. And one of them's tied to Russia. Can you stop and guess and think what you think that might be? I'm going to give you a little Jeopardy time to write down your answer. Okay, it's time to give that answer. The Russia thing is legislators are not too happy with the way Russia played out. And I think you're going to see more regulation. Facebook shares surged. Facebook shares surged this year. Um, but there's been some recent underperformance as Facebook's trying to deal with fake news and situations like that. Um, so one analyst has a $205 price target on it. 
he thinks it has 13% upside, but he's also going out of his way to say, here's some five reasons. Everyone loves a countdown, right? Five reasons why, uh, why Facebook may fall. Well, everyone loves it is number five. Wall Street's rating distribution that is overwhelmingly positive. Any hiccups are on growth or profitability, and you'll see some analysts downgrade the stock, and that would be amplified because everyone loves it. It's like everyone loves Raymond until, well, you don't love Raymond. Number four, emerging regulatory risk. Emerging regulatory risk. Five reasons why Facebook might fall, which is significant regulatory overhang, and that could pressure, you know, it, it, it hurt Microsoft when Microsoft was all cocky and arrogant about their browser being built into their operating system. And Microsoft fought it, and Microsoft lost. Um, so regulatory risk could be problematic. Um, number three on the list of top five reasons why Facebook may underperform. Number three is it can meaningfully monetize. Can it meaningfully monetize its other platforms? So despite the significant transaction for Messenger and WhatsApp globally, Facebook's ability to meaningfully monetize them still remains a big question. Um, I'm going to do less social media. Eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll do more social media in 2018. I got a couple days to figure out my, um, um, my New Year's resolutions, right? Number two on the list of top five reasons why Facebook may fail. This is a long one. Um, what will the next leg of growth be? And is it already priced in? Facebook has apparently hit the upper bound of its ad load on the core Facebook. So the story has moved from largely volume-driven to one largely of price-driven. So what's going to push their next ad growth spurt? Um, when you have billions of users, you've got billions of users. And it's not going to be trillions. So got to make a lot of babies for that to happen. Number one on the list of top five reasons why Facebook will fail. Could fail. Facebook's video, video strategy remains a mystery. Facebook's video strategy remains a mystery. At a time when we see more streaming of video everywhere on our phones, we haven't seen much progress in the last six months from Facebook. So there, there you go. Those are the top five reasons. You know what I like about a list like that? First and foremost, I think Facebook goes higher before it goes lower, but it's true. Any of those things can happen. What I like about lists is... If any of those kind of become to fruition for me, if the CEO leaves, if revenue slows down, if uh, earnings you know fall more than 10%, you have to have a list of reasons why you don't like something, because it's easy to have a list of reasons why you like something. Um, you have to have standards, in my opinion. So Robert Schiller's out there, and he's saying Bitcoin valuation is exceptionally ambiguous. Bitcoin's meteoric rise has captivated Wall Street and Main Street. Um, I know someone who bought $300 worth, and like she's gloating. Uh, so Robert Schiller comes in, and he's made an award-winning, legendary career of assessing asset prices. He's won the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences for it in 2013. And cryptocurrency's utter domination in the marketplace this year has exploded. Um, questions on asset pricing and valuation, quite ambiguous. He pinned an article for the New York Times, uh, what is Bitcoin really worth? Don't even ask. So I highly recommend you go to New York Times and type in, uh, or go to Google and type in New York Times, what is Bitcoin really worth? Don't even ask. I think you get 10 free articles a month. Um, he explored the value of what investors' frantic sentiment around the cryptocurrency says about our own psychology. 
and he says, I think the value of Bitcoin is exceptionally ambiguous. There's a new, there's the medium of exchange function that it's offering. And there's also a store of value function. That is, you can hide away your wealth in there and it's mobile. You can go anywhere with it and you can get at it. How valuable is that though? I don't personally see any value to that. That's the problem. They have a really clever technique to generate something and it could be valued, but that's why it's especially likely to become a bubble. Because when you see people valuing it, you start to wonder, maybe they're right. The fascination people have with Bitcoin is partly because of the mystery of money itself. Why do pieces of paper have value and couldn't something else have value? Plus, we all have, believe in a first mover advantage. Bitcoin was first. People believe in first mover, and so it sounds right to them. I can't say that it's definitely wrong, but it sounds like a flimsy argument. Wow. Go Google. New York Times. What is Bitcoin really worth? Robert Schiller. It's a good read. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. It's been a spectacular time and a great ride on Wall Street. We haven't had a correction in years. And when we have had pullbacks, they've never really turned into hardcore corrections where people get scared. More firms are buying each other. The last time we had a major correction, we had a lot of IPOs. So there was a lot of stocks out there that people had a lot of choices to put their money into. More and more people are saving for their retirement now. You're seeing more insurance plans get in the stock market, more pension plans get in the stock market. You're seeing more people get in the stock market. It's a crowded trade. It's worrisome. Because, uh, you know, maybe the new, the new normal is 10% higher in valuations. Maybe we're used to 15 PE is kind of in the middle, and now we're looking at 17 or 18 is kind of in the middle. And 23 is extended. If that's the case, well, we got some upside. With that said, I, I'm not selling my stocks right now. It's, um, it's not my time. Um, being long Bitcoin is the most crowded trade in the world, according to a fund manager uh, survey conducted by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. The cryptocurrency has exploded higher in recent weeks as a handful of exchanges have started transacting and offering an increased level of legitimacy. So many traders are rushing to get Bitcoin exposure right now. It, it's, it's not surprising that it's astronomical. The downside on Bitcoin is probably gold. What used to be an alternative is now just people aren't like, eh, eh. It doesn't mean that it's going lower, but it doesn't get talked about. It's understandable if reading the news today kind of makes you nervous, whether it's, you know, terrorism or nuclear war potential or strikes or, uh, you know, train derailments, uh, whether it's another mass shooting here or there. It's, it's pretty stressful. And a lot of people, when they get nervous they on the stock market or on the world economies, they say precious metals, gold. So no matter how you slice it, dice it, or you know cut it, the trends in gold, silver, and platinum are on the downside. Um, I'm not a fan of gold. Gold has always been explained to me as its purpose is twofold uh, for jewelry and essentially for a hedge, a worst-case scenario. I'm too young to believe in a worst-case scenario. Gold is indeed up about 12% from its lowest at a year ago, but it's far from being in a bull market. Um, way off its all-time high, and you know, sometimes we'll get a little excited by it. 
um, as a play on inflation. You know, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. A barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. And when the dollar gets weaker, you can get, you know, more of them, so to speak. It's just not me. So, now, I told you I'm not Bitcoin, I'm not gold. I want to avoid potential mistakes there. I think making mistakes or missing mistakes is key and critical. Set yourself up for financial success in your 30s and 40s by avoiding common money mistakes. The sooner you stop making mistakes in your 20s, you don't have to hit a home run. You just have to lay a good foundation. It's like a house, right? Um, Even if you don't have money to your name, it's important to think about your finances. Uh, In your 20s, let's start slowly, slowly paying down um, your credit card debt. No, no. Credit card debt as fast as you can. Student debt as, 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 as makes sense. I didn't pay off all my student debt until I was in my 30s, and I'm okay with that. Um, thinking about it, maybe I, I did it wrong. But see, I, I still had some fun. I still had some entertainment. I did start investing. My student debt was, was low cost. You should give up cash funds. For, you, know, you should set up a cash fund for emergencies. And, you know, again, look at credit card debt is very, very, very um, bad. So in your 20s, I remember having a car and it wasn't the most reliable automobile. Um, and it was going to die. I knew it was going to die. And, you know, I was like, just, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'll see a mechanic now and see, see if I, how long do I have. Unexpenses are what gets you into a lot of trouble. More than half Americans don't have any savings for an emergency. And, you know, you start by, you know, covering your rent, your utilities, your phone, uh, things that you, you think you have to have. And then you set up a little bit, like maybe $10, maybe $50 a month where you're putting it into an emergency fund that you never use it. It's not for a TV. It's not for a vacation. So in your 20s, get health insurance. Um, you never know if something serious is going to come along. You know, if you go to the emergency room now, it's going to cost you $20,000. It, it's, you know, if it's serious, it's going to cost you 50000 So in this day and age of looking at people walking with their phones in their hands, it's not a surprise to me that, or, you know, they're driving with their phones in their hands. So get health insurance. People are going to get, get into accidents. Um, I once got hit by, rear-ended by a woman who spoke no English and had no insurance. It wasn't serious, but it was probably five miles per hour away from being serious. Um, I remember in my 20s, there was a lot of theft going on. You know, whether it be college or the people that you live with uh, and their friends would come over, get renter's insurance. Renter's insurance will help you replace items that are stolen or damaged. Um, If you have anything that's, you know, uh, worthwhile. So if something you own is stolen from your car or your luggage is stolen while you're traveling, your losses are covered. If your apartment is so damaged that it's uninhabitable during repairs, your insurance policy will pay for temporary living conditions. Renter's insurance is cheap. $300 a year will get you $30,000 of coverage. So in your 20s, a mistake that you don't want to make because you want to be successful in your 30s and your 40s is credit card debt. You know, you got to take it seriously. Um, I've got a friend who, you know, told me recently she's got $2,500 in credit card debt. And I'm like, what? Um, you know me. And like, that's a no, 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 no. So get a second job. 
work overtime, live at home, get a roommate, uh, knock that credit card debt out. Uh, I think when you have extra money around, you can pay off student loan debt, but you know, interest on your student loans, if it's above 4% and you've already paid off your higher interest rate debt, and start paying off your student loans more aggressively. Um, in my idea, get a credit card and start using it. A no-fee credit card. Start building your credit. Check on your credit at annualcreditreport.com. Pay it off every month. Having great credit later in life is going to help you with expensive purchases like a home and or car. Um, start saving for retirement. If your company offers a 401k or 403b, you don't have to do 10%, 15%. If they give you 3% match, do 3% start, and next year go up to 4%. And by gosh, you know, don't, don't look at your neighbors. You know, your friend may have a BMW. You can get by with something a lot less uh, expensive and a lot more reliable. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Stock talking it up. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Check out seminars there and use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. Do a little stock talking. My goal is to get you to retirement. There's a company... And again, this is, you know, if you want to be a do-it-yourself investor, I'm fine with that. I think you're going to make some mistakes along the way that are, you know, cringeworthy. You're going to buy stocks because you heard about something from a friend. You're going to buy stocks because, well, I don't want to miss the boat. I, I think it can go higher. You're going to, you're going to do it. I know you are. I did it. I'm pushing 50. And in my 20s, I thought I was a lot smarter than I was. I knew tech really, really well. One of my biggest disasters in technology um, investing was a company called Exodus Communications. It's run by a woman named Ellen Hancock. She was from IBM. It was mid-90s. And, um, oh, it's crazy to even think about Exodus Communications had an idea of basically buying a lot of servers and storing them off-site. And they would do all the work for you. Updates, security, things like that. Um, It was originally named Forus. It was essentially an internet hosting site and an internet service provider to dot-com businesses. Um, And it went broke. And I think it was about 10 to 20 years ahead of its time because those are now called cloud services. Uh, during the bursting of the dot-com bubble, it declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy and it was purchased by Cable and Wireless in November of 2001. So Ellen Hancock was a former vice president at IBM and chief technology officer at Apple. She was recruited president. She assumed the CEO role. And you're like, Wow, that's a good track record. Um, they had a lot of in-house offerings like web hosting, co-location services, network access, internet bandwidth, managed security, network storage. Um, and they, they set up solutions on content distribution, managed web hosting. 
Um, they did some acquisitions that turned out not to be great. I wouldn't say that their acquisitions got them into trouble, though. Um, it's they they expanded too fast. The world wasn't quite ready. And you know, my problem was I, I wasn't looking at the cash burn rate and the issue of more shares and the cash burn rate and the issue of more shares. And when the CEO quit, I should have quit. Um, in the end, I got I, I made profits in the stock, but on the way down, I could have of cut my losses. Um, but I thought for sure that that was going to be a winner. So what I learned there was that you know success or failure starts at the top. And I went with a good CEO with a good background. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, it's, it was a mistake. So um, it left its imprint on the data center industry. It had the highest profile of any data center building during the dot-com. Um, they overexpanded too fast. So they took out debt to build, they took out debt to build, they took out debt to build, and the revenues didn't come in. So... I know you're going to make mistakes, and that, that's that's fine. And you know, one of the things that I would be very cautious on you about is on your personal level or your children is tell them try not to make mistakes that can get publicly acknowledged, because that can come back to haunt you in the corporate career and not just in the investment career. There's a hot new trivia app called HQ Trivia. So if you go download it, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> So what they do is they do two trivia contests a day, and they have a prize of about $1,500. And it tells you if you set up alerts on your phone, next game of trivia, starting in five minutes. And it's like, I think it's like noon and six. Um, and you basically have to get 10 questions in a row right. The moment you miss, you're out. Now, you can buy extra lives. Oh, that's the rub, right? Um, and I think they're going to commercialize it and put a sponsor in there at some point. Uh, it's slick though. And, you know, they'll say, you know, um, they'll start with an easy question. Like, you know, what animal, uh, has a dorsal fin? Is it shark? Is it, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You get the idea. And then after you miss the question or get the question right, it shows you out of the three choices, the other people, what their guesses were. And I think it's a little unfair at times because it'll be like this word, uh, what language is that? And it'll be like Vulcan, Russian, or Lithuanian. And I'm like, ooh, good, good question. I don't know. So it's a guess. I think that's kind of cheating. But anyway, one of the founders of HQ Trivia um, has a troublesome past. They went to raise $100 million, and the investors did some background checks on these guys. And one of them did not you know, feel comfortable with... Um, one of the founders. So we're not going to give you $100 million. Great idea for an app. Fantastic idea for an app. And it's still out there and it's still doing its thing. And maybe someone will say, look, I'll give you $10 million to leave and then I'll invest $90 million. Something's going to happen, right? But some of the insiders who were doing, some of the, the venture capitalists who were doing research on the guy found him creepy. Creepy behavior towards women during his previous job at Twitter. So that's a situation where Again, uh, knowing your actions, try to be careful with them. Uh, critically important, so in my opinion. And again, I'm not here to counsel you on that. I'm just saying when you invest in companies, try to go for top-level management who have a track record of winning. 
Um, <clears throat> read who the board of directors are. See how they've been towards people in the past. See if they've worked with companies that have gone bankrupt. You're not going to get it all right. It's just not going to happen, um, in my opinion. So uh, think about that. Investors right now are cranking up bets that the market goes higher. It melts up. Hold on. Wait, wait. What did he just say? That's right. Investors are increasingly wagering on stock market volatility. And price swings have been minimal for much of the year. A little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Um, But as people think that it gets rockier, people think it's going to the volatility is going to cause more people to rush into the stock market. The demand for the VIX, which is the volatility index upside, suggests continued skepticism, um, is at a current low, and that's going to persist. And that's very bullish for stocks um, as more money continues to come in. And some people will start feeling, you know, I don't want that train leaving me. Now, again, that's a conversation about the VIX. And most of you probably are driving to work or thinking about being a firefighter or thinking about being a police officer or thinking about being a mother or father. And do you really have time to pay attention to the volatility index? The two-month skew on the VIX is at its highest in more than two years, indicating that investors are increasingly bracing for stock market turbulence. And the stock market is not turbulent. The so-called stock market gauge of fear has set sat close to its lowest level on record for much of 2017, reflecting both a lack of concern and overall investor apathy, happy in apathy, um, as equities have reached all-time highs. I'm stunned um, that we, we, we aren't getting pullbacks, but I'm good with it. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air if you ever want to call me. Check out my website, robblackshow.com. I was reading a book by Butler recently, a butler who worked for uh, billionaires. It was just basically, I thought it was, I learned a lot. Uh, if you ever see Alfred and Batman or uh, Carson from D- Downtown Abbey, you're like, that guy's hanging out with the ultra-rich. So a butler wrote a book about hanging out with the ultra-rich. And he said, you'd be surprised. You'd think that they're like on the TV show Billionaire. They're not. Family is everything. And there's no point in the mass and a fortune. And this is advice for everyone who's trying to get their first million, their first 10 million, the first 100 million. You're nothing without family and you're nothing without your health. Um, so as a businessman, he said, the billionaire that, that he worked with, he made sure that all the employees had fantastic health care packages. It keeps them loyal and it keeps them healthy. Uh, he learned the lesson from watching a billionaire that a penny saved is a penny earned. Despite a 10-figure net worth, his employer was a stickler for saving and was keen to negotiate. Uh, even pulling out a coupon once while shopping. I th- I, when I read that, I was like, whoa. When a billionaire takes time to save 50 cents on laundry detergent, it tells you something. And I'm totally right on with it. I can see myself on my last day of, of li- being alive, and I just want a cracker, and the cracker costs... A uh, dollar, and all I have is 50 cents. And I was like, oh, I should have used that coupon that one time. Right? People are just people, regardless of the net worth. Um, I found that the Bay Area has become incredibly dense where I live. And a lot of people with their net worth, their position, their title, their bank accounts, have forgotten to like look at other people and be nice. So he learned that being a billionaire, that you you kind of learn to give, despite being mindful of savings. Um, 
when it came to philanthropy. There's so many ways that you can help hospitals and environmental causes and human rights organizations. I have a friend who goes to a pet shelter and pets cats once a week because the more you pet the cats, when the kid puts his hand in the box, if the cat bites the kid, the parents are like, oh no. And then the cat has to be locked up in, in seclusion for a month. Billionaires can teach you good lessons too. I'm Rob Black. This is Stock Talk. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. What is this? Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. Do it! So, these guys are hipsters, right? The Lumineers. I think if you take a look at the video, they're pretty much so hipsters. They're wearing the L.A. hats, and they got the little beards, and they... Suspenders, well-dressed, fashionable. Um, I don't know how you'd describe hipster or define it. And I don't know what we had in the 20s, 2000s. I can tell you that in the 1990s we had grunge. In the 1980s we had like fads like Valley Girl, um, Vans. The 70s speak for themselves. It's all worth noting, right? Same thing happens with the stock market. Sometimes there becomes incredible fads. In the end, you have to pay attention to earnings. You have to pay attention to earnings. But one of the fads I want to talk about, I'm going to call it more of a trend. It's digital disruption. We probably all started learning about it, whether we want it to or not, uh, with Napster and stealing of music. And the music industry changed. We were, went from buying CDs to downloading illegal music. And we, we often would make, you know, uh, jumps of logic in our head and say, well, if it's a good song, I'll buy the album. And the music industry caved. And, you know, there was a trend where, you know, uh, the more affluent who had faster internet connections stopped buying the more affluent music. And the less affluent in society who didn't have fast internet connections, they still supported rap. And rap thrived for a period of time. Now, digital disruption changed the music industry and changed the music powers. The record companies weren't going to take chances anymore. They want a marketable star, but they also want to own that star's product. They want to own the tour. They want to own as much as they can. Now, digital disruption, merchants, consumers, companies that help move money between people is the new disruptor. It's money to me. It's, you know, what Napster started, Amazon, you know, was a digital disruptor changing the, the bookstore, right? And then, you know, people started downloading movies and that changed the movie industry. And then Netflix came in and said, you know, let's not download movies illegally. We'll let you do them on DVD through the mail. And we don't actually have a store. We have a digital distribution network. So, it's been going on in our lives for quite a while. And you have to see it, you know, it's, in some areas it's really slow. Like some people don't want their, their health file on digital. I do. I've moved, you know, at least 20 times in my life. Not for a long while, but so I've got different x-rays and scans and medical reports with different doctors all around the world. I hope I never need that information. So the one that I want to pay attention to now 
is an ecosystem that was slow to, to accept it, but now it has to. And, you know, banks, card networks and processors, it's digital money and the opportunities of, of shuffling money around. There's service providers, there's gateways, there's issuers, there's card networks, there's acquirers and processors. And the one that you probably know the most are the companies that issue credit cards, right? The American Express, the Barclays, the Capital Ones, the Citibanks, the HSBs, the U.S. Banks, the USAAs, TD Ameritrade, um, Discover, Chase, Bank of America. And then there's the card networks like Visa, um, Pulse, uh, Maestro, MasterCard. Uh, it depends on, you know, Discover, American Express. And then th- there's some that you don't know anything about. Like the gateways, uh, Blue Snap, Card Connect, Braintree, PaySafe, Stripe, Square, WePay, PayPal. Hmm, PayPal. That's one that. And you're like, who were those other ones? Say it slower. Uh, for consumers, the digital revolution is providing a lot more choice, and it makes your life easier. Digital wallets are simplifying purchases, allowing users to pay online with just a username and password. I can go into Home Depot without my wallet and use my PayPal account. Easy pleasy. I can forget my wallet and have my phone and pull out my Apple Pay. Digital growth is accelerated in finances. The digital payment ecosystem, its growth drivers, uh, is a trend that you should pay attention to because it's early in the investment. Now, later on, it'll become very commoditized, and a lot of the money will leave. A lot of the profits will leave. To understand, the winner will take all. Not really, but kind of. So here's some of the trends that you should take a look at. Or think about digital growth is accelerating the pace at which payments are becoming faster and more convenient, and that benefits nimble startups and legacy providers. Mobile payments are continuing to take off um, on mobile devices, e-commerce, peer-to-peer payments, remittances, in-store payments, and that's expected to continue to rise as customer engagement shifts to more established channels. Um, I'm pretty good with that. I'm pretty good with that. So if you used Venmo or PayPal, Apple Pay is out now. Apple Pay will be very slow to... And Apple Pay, excuse me, you've used Apple Pay before with credit cards on your phone. You scan the credit card, and then you'll get a text typically from your bank if you have an online relationship with your bank, and they'll say, do you want this to be added to this machine? And it's like, yeah. Um, I'm all about that kind of security. I think having a plastic card in your wallet is the craziest thing in the world. Um, having a phone that unlocks with your fingerprint or your, your face scan and then Apple pays in there and you get a text every time someone uses it is power. It's awesome. Speaking of alternative, uh, speaking of power, power shifting to companies that control the customer experience as the selling power of physical storefronts add shifts to, you know, digital devices, the companies that control the apps and platforms that occupy your attention are increasingly encroaching on payment providers territory. So, Alternative technologies are out there right now, moving the idea from you know, uh, moving the idea forward to reality kind of thing. So there's widespread investment in blockchain technology last year that's getting the results that you know people feel very comfortable with. Digital payments. It's quite an ecosystem out there now. So I'm Rob Black, talking stock, talking more. Find a seminar at Rob Black Show and use the code Radio25 to get in for free. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.